The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads with us and joining us. I know we've got a number of families on vacation and they're joining us through our live stream. So uh, happy Father's Day and uh, boy you fulfill, like women, you fulfill a role that only you can do and no other person on the face of the planet can do what you do. So happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 and James chapter 1. Luke chapter 9 and James chapter 1. We will be in those places in just a moment. Luke 9, James chapter 1. You know, I love preaching most of the time. Uh, I've been very blessed to be able to go camping and fishing in arguably some of the most beautiful places in all of America, a place called the Boundary Waters, which hugs the northern border of the state of Minnesota. And the Boundary Waters is beautiful, uh, massive, glistening lakes and high cliffs and evergreen trees, this pristine northern wilderness. It's just beautiful there. But to be able to get there, sometimes you'll travel by canoe is the only way to travel in the, in the Boundary Waters. And when you first put your boat in the water, you don't always put your boat on the edge of a glistening lake. Sometimes it's a very marshy, swampy kind of an area. And, uh, and it's really not a river. It kind of looks like a river, but it's so marshy and so swampy, uh, you're on what they call a beaver highway. And all it is is this grassy area, and the beavers have, have kind of mowed down the grass in the areas that they will travel consistently. And and you'll be paddling in very shallow water, and what you think is mud is not actually mud because of all the animals there. And, and, and sometimes you're going along, and, and, and beavers like to make their, their dams along these beaver highways in these muddy, marshy areas. And not only do the beavers live be there, but so do the black flies and mosquitoes. And, uh, and it can be very difficult to go traveling down these difficult beaver highways, but it's totally worth it when it opens up into a 300-acre lake that's glistening with lakes and the breezes on your face uh, to get to the beautiful places. Sometimes you have to go through the difficult, swampy areas. Uh, and, and my prayer for me and for this church is that we would never be a church that just hangs out in Scripture that's the beautiful places, uh, that we would be obedient to God and being able and trusting God, God that He would change us and, and that we're willing to go through the tough areas of Scripture. Uh, tough places to preach, tough places to hear be preached. I pray that when Jesus comes back, that this church would still be a church that's willing to go through those difficult places to then see the beautiful places. Amen? So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, you've given us so much beauty to enjoy in your word, but there are times where it convicts us, Lord, times where it is hard for me to preach and I'm sure hard to hear it be preached. But Father, would you make us brave? Would you, would you keep our eyes fixed on the beautiful places so that it makes it totally worth it to 
to go through those difficult, convicting places as we, as we traverse faithfully, not just through the parts that we want to hear, but, but the whole of your word, the entirety of what you've given us, God. Make us faithful to all of it, I pray. In Jesus' name. And all the church says, Amen. Amen. I'd like to introduce you to a man named John. Now, you don't know John, but you know a lot of people that have many of the same attributes as John. Uh, John is a middle-aged, white-collar employee of a tech support company, and he's been taking some classes down at the local trade school because he enjoys working with his hands, so he'd like to become an electrical engineer to be able to work with things on things with his hands. He has a wife and three teenage children. John is a super nice guy. He'd help you with just about anything that you needed. Uh, and he went to church frequently as a kid. Uh, he was even one of those kids that had a grandparent that would take him to all the town's VBSs that would go on throughout the year. And, uh, but when he became a teenager, he decided that girls were a better shape than Noah's Ark, and thus he went on to live an adult life with no church influence whatsoever. There was always something more exciting to do on the weekends or any time other than to serve Jesus. And, uh, and John will go on to live a very typical kind of life. He'll have grandchildren, he'll live to the age of 70 when he will eventually get the diagnosis of cancer and, and he'll be able to handle it well for a while, but at age 78 or early 80s, he'll, he'll pass away and, and he knows who Jesus is. He spent a lot of time as a child in church and in Sunday school and VBS. He, know, he knows who Jesus is, but he's not a follower of Jesus. He's not trusting in Jesus. There was always something more fun, more exciting to do on the weekends, and serving Jesus was just never on the forefront of his mind. It was always on the back burner at best. And John, like the rest of us, is a sinner. And like the Bible says, it's appointed a man once to die, and then the judgment. And because John is a sinner, and, and there's no substitute found for his sin, for the times that he had stolen even little things, and the times, the many times that he had lied, and the times that he had committed adultery in his heart countless times, and even the time that not physical, but he had an emotional affair going with the secretary at work. Those sins, because there's, there's no payment for those things. He'll pay for them himself, and he will go to a godless place that is called hell, and one year after John is there, 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years and beyond, 100,000 years and beyond of John being in that Christless, godless reality called hell, John is still there. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that make you uncomfortable? Because that makes me really uncomfortable. Now, the good news is, is John is still alive, and if I told you, if I were to tell you that on Wednesday at 2 p.m. you could go down to the square in Johnstown and witness to John, and you could tell him about the saving blood of Jesus Christ and how he can trust Jesus with his sins, and, and Jesus will forgive him of all unrighteousness, and, and he'll be, God will see John like he sees Jesus because the wrath of God had been poured out on Jesus, and there John stands, a forgiven child of God, and, and that's possible for John. And and if I told you that John would be Wednesday, 2 p.m., at the square in Johnstown, I know what many of us would say. We'd raise our hand and we'd say, I'll go tell him about Jesus. I'll go witness to him. I'll go disciple him. I'll, I'll do what Matthew 28 says to preach to all the nations and to, to teach them all the things that Jesus commanded to observe. Those. I'll do that for John. I'll disciple John. I'll do that. Now, 
And I would say that too, don't get me wrong. I, I would say that, and I would say it passionately. But if you look to Luke chapter 9, we find verse 57. And as we read this, perhaps you'll be convicted like I am that if we were to say those things, we may or may not do and follow through what exactly we said we would do. Verse 57, it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then another said also, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you look back up this way, what Scripture makes clear, and we know this is clear, is that you and I, we are very, in our humanness, we are very quick to promise, very quick to promise, as we see in this example, very quick to promise, but very slow to follow through. Uh, we know with perfect clarity, church, we've been on talking about discipleship, and, and this is week number two, and, and I'm not sure how many more weeks of this there will be, but we're going to continue trusting the Lord as He leads us. But we're talking about discipleship, and we know, I mean, we could all agree, I hope with 100% certainty that, that we know that a disciple, a, a person who has placed Jesus at the highest priority of their life, that they will labor for the cause of the kingdom of God, that they will use everything they have to leverage what they have for the kingdom of God, whether it's their ability to preach, their ability to teach. We had a bunch of young people out working on the church grounds with me this week. They were using just their ability, the time they have away from school and all that. You leverage everything that you have for the kingdom of God. That, that a disciple is to make disciples. I hope we all know that, and I hope we could all agree on that with perfect clarity. Now, here, just a few verses to, to make this known to all of us. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. John 15.8, uh, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. Mark 1.17, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. A disciple, as we know, and I hope we all can agree, is to be a disciple-making, witnessing, fruit-bearing, soul-fishing machine. I mean, that, that is what a disciple is to be. But there is a huge gap, however, between what we know to do, what we say we'll do, and what we actually do. And I'll just be honest with you, I hate this gap. If there were a stronger word I could use in church, I would. I hate this gap in your life. I hate this gap in my life. It is a hypocritical gap, and I hate this gap in my life. So if you're in your Bibles, turn now to James chapter 1. We should already have a thumb sitting there. And here is where we'll read Scripture, but Scripture is also going to read us. James chapter 1, look to verse 22. The Bible says, But be doers of the word. Everyone say the word doers. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself 
goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, I hope this is clear to all of, all of us. We're, we're not to be the kinds of people that, that reads God's Word and says, okay, we know we're, from, and we're in Sunday, or church on Sunday, or just even our own devotion time. We read God's Word and we say, okay, we know we're supposed to disciple, we're supposed to love our neighbor, we're supposed to do those things, and then we go turn immediately and then just forget everything that we were just convicted and convinced of. We're not to be that way. We're to be all about God's Word so that it changes us, it impacts us, and it changes the way we walk. We're, we're in Sunday convicted that we're to make disciples. And every other day throughout the week, we're convicted that we're to share what it is that we have. The great freedom, everyone say amen. The great freedom that we have in Jesus that we are to share with others. That's what we are to do. Now, you and I tend to make all kinds of excuses as to why we don't make disciples. And I've made every single one of these. Things like, I don't have the right training, or I'm not gifted in talking to people, or how about this one? I don't know enough about the Bible. And we have perfect examples in Scripture, perfect examples in Scripture of why all of those kinds of arguments, those perhaps the most common arguments that we make as to why we don't make disciples, why we don't share about Jesus, those common things that we make, there are perfect examples that completely nullify, completely blows out of the water any notion that we can make a valid argument as to why we don't make disciples because of those arguments. The argument of, I don't have the right training. Uh, Zacchaeus, that guy did not have the right training, but he gave the whole town a lesson on repentance. He, Jesus, he met Jesus, and Jesus radically changes his life, and he just goes around and, and paying back all this money that he had stolen, and he, he was giving the whole town a lesson, a biblical, theological lesson on repentance, and he had none of this great formal training that we think we have to have to be able to share Jesus with others. What if we were to repent the same way Zacchaeus did? We don't need to have the right training. We just need to do what it was that Zacchaeus did and just showing what it, people it is that repentance is. What about, I'm not gifted in talking to people? Uh, neither was Moses. And God used him to lead an entire nation. Some biblical scholars say between 1.5 and potentially on the higher end, 3 million people. I don't know about you, but I never envisioned in my mind the nation of Israel being that large. This huge nation that all of these people, God used Moses, a man who was slow in his speech and had a stumbling problem. He, it, it, this was not good for Moses, but God used Moses. We, we cannot make, church, that argument that, that we're not gifted in talking to people. God can use you and use you mightily, even if you have an actual speech problem. It's not valid at all for us to make that argument as to why we cannot make disciples. What about, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough theology. I think of the man in John chapter 9 who was born blind. And the disciples and Jesus come up on this man. And, and you remember the story. The disciples say, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And he was made, I mean, he just came into the world being blind like this. And Jesus says, neither him nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. And you know the story. Jesus spits on the ground. He anoints his eyes with the mud. And he tells the man to go wash his face. Whoa, sorry about that, church. He go wash his face in the pool of Siloam. The man goes and does it, and he receives a sight. Everyone say amen. That kind of healing power is what we need in our nation today, the amazing power and healing of Jesus Christ. 
But this man goes around and, and everybody's noticing that he has his sight restored. This is the man they always knew as the beggar, the man that was born since, blind since birth, and here he is, he can now see, and everyone wants to know how it is that he has been made whole again, that his eyes can now see. The Pharisees bring him into the temple, and they're questioning him about this Jesus guy, because they already had a bunch of questions about him, and they're saying, well, who is this man? It's, certainly he must be a sinner. There's, there's no way that he could be a prophet that could heal you in this kind of way, because certainly he's a sinner like the rest of us. And I love the reply of this man. In John 9, 25, the man answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. And if we could just pause right there, if, if this man knew his Old Testament really, really, really well, he perhaps would have known that Jesus was not going to be a sinner. But he didn't know whether or not Jesus was a sinner. But one thing he does know, the Bible says, he says, I know that though I was blind, now I see. Everyone say amen. He didn't know all the theology. He had one piece of theology. He was blind but now he can see. So we blame our lack of action, our, our lack of discipleship and disciple-making and sharing Jesus and, and, and infusing the world with the freedom that we have in Jesus. We blame it on all kinds of things, but the reality is, is that we are simply hearers and not doers. Then you say, well, Pastor, I, I don't agree with your assumptions. And, and perhaps, and I not certainly, I didn't, you would say perhaps, you know, Pastor Ben, I, I am a, I am a doer. You know, I, I, I read the Bible, I'm convicted of it, and then I go do it. And if that's you, I mean, don't apply this if it doesn't apply to you, but if that's you, I mean, then praise the Lord. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating with you, and I'm glad you're likely older than me, you've been walking with the Lord longer than me, and I'm watching you because, because you're my example. And, and there are some senior saints in here who I call my dear friends, who I brings tears to my eyes just to think that you're here this morning and that you love me enough to support me in, in this ministry. And, and the example you've been to me is is amazing. And I praise God that you're a doer, not a hearer only. But just let, let me ask these broad questions and let the Holy Spirit do the work in each of our hearts that he will do. Have you, sir or madam, have you always fulfilled the Great Commission faithfully? When someone has asked you to pray, have you always done it? You know, if I'm just really honest as a pastor, I mean, I, I do keep a prayer list and I do my very best anytime you ask me to pray to write it down and to pray for that faithfully throughout the week. But if I'm totally honest, when things are really busy in church and a whole wave of people are coming in and you ask me to pray for something, unless I pray right then, which I try to make the habit of doing, the chance of me praying later is like fat chance. <laughs> I'm, I'm quick to promise and I'm slow to carry it through. Uh, have you, sir or madam, have you committed yourself to Bible reading and have you completed it? How many Johns in your life have gone unloved, uncared for, uninvited to church, uninvited to your home, and unprayed for by you? And then hear me, I am not here to purposely bring myself down or anyone else down, but, but if we're, if we're going to see the beautiful place in Scripture, if, if we're going to be a church who's actually trusting and following Jesus, and I'm actually up here preaching His Word, and this is not just some kind of show, then I want us to go through the beaver highway together. I want us to be able to go to the point where it's like, oh man, we've got to get out and get off into this beaver muck while we drag the canoe over and the black flies and mosquitoes. Let's just let the Holy Spirit have its, His way in us and change us for the way that, that He would change us this morning. So the question on the table then is how do you become a doer of discipleship, doers of discipleship, and not hearers only? How do we become dis doers of discipleship and not hearers only? If you're in James, go back now to verse 22. And we will 
hopefully drink in the antidote of our sickness this morning. James 1.22. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Everyone say deceiving yourselves with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Deceiving yourselves. So, gentlemen, for those of you working the sound stuff up there, bring that first slide up. The person who hears God's word and does not do it is a deceived person. The person who hears God's word and does not do it is a deceived person. And I had to really change my understanding about this as, as the Lord drew me through this this week. Because I'd like to just blame it on, on, on us being able to be fat and lazy. I mean, that would be really convenient. But the reality is, is that we are deceived. If we hear God's word, don't do it that we're deceived. And we see a perfect example of this in Matthew chapter 19. You know the story of the young rich ruler. He goes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus quotes some of the Old Testament scriptures and the Ten Commandments. Do such and such, do such and such, do such and such. And the man with a smile on his face says, Teacher, I've kept all of those things from my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell what you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. And then the Bible says that that man turns around and he walks away sad because he was a man of great possession. He was a very rich man. And he walked away. This is a perfect example of someone who heard the word, literally the word, the Son of God. He was hearing the word from the word himself. He was hearing Jesus, but he was not a doer. Why? Because he walked away deceived, thinking that he was going to have more joy in his things rather than selling what he had, selling to the poor, and following Jesus. Being a hearer and not a doer is to be a deceived person. So, when you and I have the opportunity to discipleship someone within our sphere of influence, and, and let me just encourage all of us, we, we make, and I, and I would even say, I've probably done this before, we make discipleship this very Christianese kind of word that sounds like you've got to jump through all these hoops, in, and there are certainly places for people to be students of God's word, but, but just to, to start discipling someone, to start loving them, it really is really quite easy. I mean, I'm convinced, church, that I think just perhaps God called me into ministry because I'm better at eating than most people, okay? I mean, seriously, it's, I've had, it just, I mean, you can invite someone to your home and share a meal with them. I've had people say to me, Pastor Ben, I wish I knew everyone in the church as good as you did. Listen, if you've eaten as many hamburgers and drank as many glasses of sweet tea as I have with all of you, you would too. Ask someone the very simple question, where's your life at with Jesus? Ask someone the very simple question. Say, you know, God has been doing some really neat things in my life. When, when we're done eating these hamburgers here, do you care if I just share a few things with you and, and so you can just hear me out and I'd love to hear your thoughts about some of the things that God has been doing in my life. Very simple. If you say, do I have your permission to share these things? I, I've never, ever had someone turn me down from saying it like that. Just to get, put them in the driver's seat, and then they'll hear you out, and then you can honestly hear what's in their heart. And after you've had some burgers and sweet tea, it, it's amazing just how relaxed somebody will be when they're sitting on your couch in your living room. And assuming they're still they're comfortable meeting at post Crone and all that, we get all those things. But you know, when, And when a challenging question arises, when they have questions you, and that you don't know the answer to, just say, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but... But let's go to church together on Sunday. We'll ask the pastor after service, and then I'll buy us lunch. We can go to the park, or we can go over to your house, and, and, and let's, let's find the answer out about this together. So church, if we hear about things that we're to do, we know about people that we're supposed to love, 
We know that we're supposed to pray for people. We know that we're supposed to disciple people around us, and we don't. I'm convinced upon the authority of God's word that we're not just fat and lazy like I wish I say we could be. We're deceived. We're deceived into thinking that eternity doesn't matter. And church, can I just tell you that it matters. It matters what someone does with Jesus. It matters what has happened to someone, someone's sin, whether they are forgiven or not. Those things matter. If, if we know that we are to disciple people and share Jesus and we just don't, we're deceived into thinking that Jesus, that God does not punish wickedness. And can I just tell you this morning, church, that God is a good judge. He punishes wickedness. If we are hearers and not doers, church, in relation to discipleship, we are deceived into thinking that hell is just this old biblical figure of speech. Can I just tell you, church, and this is hard for me to preach, I, I don't like preaching about these things, but but I, but I feel the draw to, to preach the entirety of God's Word. If we believe that, that we don't, can just be hearers and not doers, we're deceived into thinking that hell's an old biblical figure of speech and that it's no church. It's a real place. It's a real place, and real people go there. Why else did Jesus do what he did on the cross to forgive you and me? Why else did he allow himself to be whipped? Why else did an innocent man suffocate to death on the cross with nails through his hands and feet for you? Why else did all that have to happen if there wasn't this impending judgment that was coming and someone's going to take it, either you or Jesus? And I plead with you this morning, let your sacrificial lamb be Jesus. He's done it for you this morning. Everyone say amen. Look now to verse 23 of James 1. It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word... And not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You know, you guys, as I've gotten to know you, you guys know I enjoy uh, wrenching on vehicles. And uh, years ago, I was working on this old Jeep that I had, and, and, uh, and I, I, I knew I had to go to church later that evening. And I didn't take time. I should have just not messed with the whole project, but I was like so excited about the project. I'm working on it, and, uh, and I must have at some point got some grease on my hand and wiped my forehead because as I go in to get cleaned up before going to church, I, w I worked way too late on this project before I needed to get to the church. So I just run in to, to make sure I'm presentable, and then I run myself over to the church. And, uh, and I, I peek in the mirror very quickly, and I realize that I had just this huge grease smudge right across my forehead. And, uh, and, and I was so rushed that I forgot about it. I threw some clean clothes on, jumped in the car, went to the church, and I had like two or three meetings that evening that I needed to attend to. And, and you know, everyone was they, they're looking at me, kind of like a dog when they're trying to figure something out. They're looking at me like really weird. And that whole evening, I cannot figure out why everyone's looking at me like this. And then I go home and I look in the mirror and I think, all those sinners didn't tell me that I have a big old <laughs> grease smudge across my face. You know, if I'd have slowed down enough to actually look in the mirror and make sure I was presentable, I would have had, I would have had the recognition and the wherewithal to make sure that my face was clean before I went out in public. So the second thing I want to tell you this morning out of God's Word, and we can go to the second slide, gentlemen. Don't be so rushed in life that you forget to look in the mirror of God's Word. Don't be so rushed in life that you forget to look in the mirror of God's Word. Don't you need to look in the mirror more than just Sunday church. 
This is great that we're here and we're focused tonight. I love that this is an attentive church and a very easy crowd to preach and teach to. I, I appreciate and I love you for it, church. But this is not the only time that we can look in the mirror. And I'll just be honest, even as the preacher, it's easier for me just to have the text that I'm working with, with for the week and just be dealing with that only. No, I, I need to have more of it. I need to see more of who I am. I need to see more of how my tendency to forget and to make promises that I'm not likely to follow through with. We need to, be, we need to look in the mirror and to not forget who we are, to not forget who Jesus is. We need to be all about it, church. We cannot be church, the kind of church that is convicted in church that we should love our neighbor and be disciple makers and do all kinds of these things and then turn around, go to lunch somewhere when all the restaurants are open back up and not tip well and be rude to the server. Even if the service is terrible, the tip says more about you than it does about the service you received. We, we cannot be that kind of people, church. We, we need to be, have steady diets of looking into the mirror so that it reads us, we see ourselves in it. We got to be hearers and doers. Everyone say amen. It has become clear to me, church, yes, there are many hearers and not doers, but we are increasingly, as I know you are all aware, in a world that are not even hearers. Uh, this race war that our nation is in right now, uh, you know, if somebody had even the slightest biblical view, you don't even have to be a Christian and you could just believe what the Bible says. I mean, you could, be, you could totally reject the gospel, but know the biblical narrative and believe it, and race would become a non-issue. But what has happened is the secular notion of teaching evolution that there are superior breeds, superior people, superior whatever, that the faster, better, smarter, stronger will survive and reproduce and the others won't. I mean, it is a breeding ground for racism. But if you just, if you know the biblical narrative, again, even rejecting the gospel, you could be straight on your way to hell, but just believe the Bible that there was a great flood, there was a man named Noah and his wife, they had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they each had a wife, and then they were the family from which all of us came from. Don't you think when they all stepped foot on that boat that Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they all had slightly di different skin tones? They did, church. And how do you think of the rest of the races? All, I mean, that's where it all started, and and when you see that, when you realize that, it's just like every notion of racism in your mind, just it can't help but melt away. And it has become known in our world that people are not just not doers. They're not even hearers. So for us, church, as the redeemed bride of Christ, let us be hearers and let us be doers. Everyone say amen. amen. So, church, we've gone through the Beaver Highway together. And... If you're ready for a beautiful view, say amen. amen. James 1, look to verse now, 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Everyone say the word liberty. He who is, he who is swallowed by the gospel. He who is just all about redemption and Jesus hanging on a cross and rising from the grave. He who is just overtaken with the love of God. He who is continually reminded by seeing in the mirror the great mercy that Jesus has shown all of us. The person who is just overtaken by the gospel. Looking back now to God's word. I hope you have a Bible in front of you because I'm paraphrasing a lot as I go on these tangents. And going back to scripture and it says, and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Look back this way. So someone who is 
who is a doer of discipleship, a, a prayer for those who need prayer, uh, uh, somebody who's, who's hospitable with their home and, and is using everything they have to leverage for the gospel and, and, and having someone in their life that they're praying for and they're discipling and, and loving those around you. That kind of person is faithful in that work. This one, the Bible says, will be blessed in what he does. You believe that this morning. They'll be blessed in what he does. And that last slide that we can bring up, gentlemen, the way to a blessed life, church, is to be a doer of God's word. This is not a prosperity gospel. I am unashamedly saying the Bible, the Bible teaches that the person who will be blessed in their work is the one who is a doer of God's word. The way, church, to a blessed life is to be a doer of God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but that gap that I referenced earlier that is in you that I hate, and it's in me and I hate, it's even in Abby, and I hate it too. Can you believe it, church? Even in Abby. I, that, that hypocritical gap of us being quick to promise and, and making these statements of what we'll do for the Lord and how we'll share His love and light with the world. I, 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 the old person that just clings to that gap. I don't want to go back to that person anymore. If you haven't figured out already in our world today with the direction things are going, it, business as usual is over church. This is all, thank you. This is all, I mean, it's time to be really real right now. Perhaps you remember in your history books there was a man named Cortez who was landed on Veracruz, Mexico, and with his army they were going to take over some of that territory. And Cortez, Cortez as the leader, did something kind of interesting right as they landed. They all unload their weapons and supplies off the boats, and he sets a match to all of them. He burns them all. Why did he do that? It's because he didn't want his soldiers, his men, to have any way back. There was no going back. The boats that they just rode in on are, are heaps of burning ash still floating and simmering down into the water. There was no going back for them. And I just, I want to tell you this morning, church, I believe that for many of us, even for us that have been Christians for a long time, it's time to burn the ships about some things in our life. It's time to burn the ships of hypocrisy anymore. For those of you that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time for you to burn the ship of your old sinful self. Jesus is calling you. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to knowledge of the truth. It's, what is it in your life that you need to burn the ships with? You don't need to go back to that person anymore. There's a hypocritical side of me that I want to burn the ships with. I don't want to go back to that person. I want to do whatever it takes to make sure that, that, that I'm just drawn to this mirror. And, and the hypocritical side of myself that would create this great message and only look at those verses for the rest of the week. I mean, come on. I need more of God's Word than that in my life. And you do too, church. You do too. Brian, if you would come. So church, would you stand with me? These are different days, church. This is, these, are, these are different days. Have you felt it? Have you, have you looked at your news feed lately? Have you seen the... I mean, just like everything is just like a rotting corpse anymore. You just look around and it's just, it's ugly. Man, is it ugly. If there's going to be freedom, it's going to be found in Jesus Christ. If there's going to be freedom in our own lives, it's going to be found in Jesus Christ. If this church is going to move forward as a 
salt and light church, a, a light set on a hill, this beautiful place that people are drawn to because of the love and freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. It's going to be because of Jesus Christ. Say amen. We need him. My God, do we need him. So let's draw into him together. Let's be like the Apostle John that is just every time you see him, he's just, he's drawing close to Jesus, drawing closer. Jesus hanging on the cross, John's still drawing closer, drawing closer. And that's what we're going to do in these next weeks, months, as we go out of coronavirus season and out of riot season and who knows what July has. Oh, Lord, help us. Whatever we've got, we're going to draw into Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is your church. This is your glorious gospel. This is your glorious love that has set us free. It's your glorious sacrifice that has, has taken the nails in our stead, that has taken the cross in our stead. It's a glorious thing that we're doing here today, Jesus. God, I don't want to go back to the old self. God, I don't want to be just a hearer. I want to be a doer of your word. Father, I need courage. This man, this redeemed man that is still so drawn to sin, I need courage today, Jesus. I need you to help me burn the ships of the hypocrisy in my own life. I need you to help me burn the ships in my old life that would not have my face drawn to the mirror so I can see truly who I am before you. So that I can be effective in the work of the ministry that you've called me to in this church to. God, we need you, Jesus. And we're unashamedly saying it today, Lord. We don't care what the culture is doing. We need you, Lord. We need you in a way that we felt like we've never felt before. We need your peace. We need your direction. We need your help. And today, your children who love you, this church who loves you and loves to sing your praises and loves to preach your word, we're asking today for your help, Jesus. In your mighty name. And all the church says, amen.